Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta? MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Welcome to What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's three tips for faculty development. We discuss our top three tips for each episode, episode topic, and you're here with Janice Palaganis and... Peter Kahn. Hello, Peter. Well, Peter, I'm pretty excited about our episode today. We have our two distinguished institute faculty with us, and what's fun for me is that I know both of these faculty members Individually, I don't know that I've had a conversation with both of them together, and that's really the beauty of the National Academy of Practice, which is the organization that unites them. And for me, this is going to be a real 101, drifting into a little bit more uh, deep introduction, because there are a lot of acronyms in our world, and a lot of associations, all of the main professional ones, and then all of the ones that promote interprofessional education and practice. And the National Academies of Practice is one where I know, Janice, you're a new member. I'm a new member. And Inga and Jane are uh, veteran members. And so we thought we'd get you all together to learn about uh, what got you interested, what got you inducted, because it's a real honor, and what is some of the advocacy work that you can do within that organization that advances into professional education and practice? Absolutely. And and I am realizing, having you said that, Peter, what an honor it is for me to be on this call and podcast with all of you, because, you know, that is so wonderful to know that, um, you know, this is your first time meeting all together and that, uh, you know, NAP or NAP for short, unites us all in this podcast. How amazing is that? Um, So I'd like to introduce our two uh, prestigious faculty that we have in our podcast today. We have Inga Corliss, who is one of our professors and her experience is working in the emergency department, which Inga, that's my background too. So uh, <laughs> loving that we have the same background here and you're, you originally are from or worked in New York and then you went from that to working as the program director at St. Peter's Hospice in Albany and you also were staff nurse at Mass General Brigham and a Robert Wood Johnson Fellow at UCSF and an honorary fellow, I think this is so interesting, at the University of Natal in South Africa, which has a new name now, you were saying earlier, University of... Zulu. Okay. What was that, Jane? KZN. Oh, Inga. K- uh, K-Z-N. Really Z-Z-N. But if you if you were there, you would say KZN. KZ, KZN. Yeah, which right, is the initial. the initial. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Inga, thank you for being with us here today. And I'd love to introduce Jane Baldwin. Um, Jane developed uh, and oversees the, the PT Center, um, which is part of IHP's impact 
practice center. So this is the physical therapy um, services in our interprofessional. What would you, how would you summarize the impact program, Peter? It's so innovative. I should say the innovative program. Well, the, uh, interprofessional. the overarching program, right, is our interprofessional <laughs> curriculum, but the Impact Practice Center is a long-standing pro bono uh, clinic, uh, which now houses multiple professions together to allow these opportunities for uh, members of the community to come and receive services. Um, and so... Um... Uh, you've just done a lot with um, access for physical therapy mm-hmm. care for everyone, and you know, acts. I, I, you know, I, I love thinking about the access issues that could be, you know, not just insurance, but geography, health literacy, transportation, and so Jane does a lot of that work for our Impact Practice Center. Right, and Jane can call you JSB. Yeah, yeah, I um. <laughs> You know, the, the the practice center started very small just with, you know, speech had had their practice center because for speech, it's required for accreditation purposes. And then we just saw a, a need in the community as well as a need for some of our students to have a more, I would say, probably controlled, structured learning environment of working with clients. So um, myself and another, a couple other faculty sort of drew this up and then I sort of was put in charge of it. And we've been seeing clients in the PT Center since 2010. So we're going on our, our 10th year. And when we first started, it was a small classroom that used to fit like 12 people in it that we had a mat and a couple exercise balls. In the first summer, we saw probably, I don't know, 10 different people and maybe we did 40 visits. And then last summer, what we're averaging, we probably service about 45 different individuals a semester and do between 450 and 500 visits a semester. And Jane, can I say that your work is an example of something we so rarely see in higher education, where students identify a need and it gets resolved. So when I first came to the Institute, your center was on the third floor of a busy classroom building. Uh-huh. And much of the work with clients is on gate, going to be in the hallway, and classes would be changing. And our students were so wonderful about putting up warnings, you know, please be careful. But it, it seemed like, like, you know, having a, a an egg factory next to the highway. Like you don't want these things <laughs> yeah. together. And student and even non-PT students felt horrible about interrupting that. And sure enough, we fixed it mm-hmm. and we made it better. And you have this vision of how it can be integrated, how it can have a, a larger space that's more welcoming, more accessible, yeah. and closer to other professions. Yeah, it, we don't it's, get those comments anymore. No, the and, and the impact center is wonderful. I mean, the space is wonderful. The proximity for our students to be in the same room with a you know a physical therapy student preparing for a client in the same room as the speech language pathology student, as the occupational therapy student, as the uh, as the nurse practitioner student, and really being able to sort of put their heads together, problem solve. And I think as faculty, we model that interprofessional collegial care with uh, among the faculty as sort of role models for our students to also see. So as I say, my, the, the center is my happy place. So it's, it's a, it, it, and it's a win-win. It's a wonderful opportunity for our students. The clients are just wonderful teachers 
And we, at least for physical therapy, we service clients that would not, not otherwise be receiving physical therapy. So those that have limited insurance, no insurance, their condition is considered chronic and the insurances will no longer cover for physical therapy. So it's a great setup for everyone. So I'm wondering, hearing the two different but distinguished backgrounds of our guests, how you both ended up in the National Academies of Practice. Is it NAP or NAP? I don't know, is there consensus on this? I think we'll usually say. NAP people say, so yeah. So I'll say NAP. And what is it that NAP provides mm-hmm. that is supportive of both of your different interests and goals? Yeah, that is a big question for me because, you know, just having been inducted, I, I'm interested in knowing. And, and because our meeting was canceled due to the pandemic, I am really interested in, in what it has done for both of you. I think one of the things that makes it different is the, the fact that it is interprofessional. You find that with the American Public Health Association. That's another organization where there are people with different disciplines, but they they may or may not be practice disciplines, where what we find in NAP is much more the practice disciplines, the professions. A lot of people who are actively practicing, but also faculty members who are teaching the practitioners there. So it's it's a different, a little bit of a different focus than you find in the American Public Health Association. That's not to say that people in NAP are not interested in public health. They are. And and for me, I've been very involved in the American Physical Therapy Association, both on a local and a national level. And for me, it was just another way to bring that advocacy that is so strong in the APTA and really... I think, allow it to be more powerful and and louder with an interdisciplinary focus. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing of how when I entered NAF, of how many of my colleagues from the American Physical Therapy Association that I knew nationally were in NAP. And they're like, Jane, and I'm like... Brett, how are you? I, I didn't realize you were a member of NAP. And it was just, and I think we're, we're so focused when we're with APTA on just physical therapy. It was really nice to see colleagues that I admired and valued have the same values that I have with interprofessional education and interprofessional practice. Mm-hmm. It was nice to be able to, to sort of share that common love of physical therapy, but yet the importance of being part of an interprofessional team, which was very rewarding and eye-opening for me. I I thought it was, you know, I I thought it was great. And, And as a physical therapy academy now, we're talking, you know, how can we get more people knowing about this, right? How can we get more people interested in NAP and sort of recruit uh, folks that we feel would be great contributors to the association. Hmm. Because physical therapy is, is, I think, one of the, I'm not sure how long that academy has been around, but it has not been. It's one of the newer academies. Inga, I don't know if you know when PT started. I mean, nursing has been involved in NAP for many, many more years than physical therapy has. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know. But I am recruiting two faculty members from the IHP. They happen to be in the School of Nursing, but I'm 
happy to sponsor other people, but, but I am <laughs> recruiting two people from the uh, School of Nursing and hoping they're going to put in their materials. I've been working with them. So, okay. Can you explain that process, uh, Inga? This is not, like I imagine if I were a physical therapist, I could just write a check and join the APTA. But this is not that. This well, is not no. open to anyone off the street. So mm -hmm. how does one become a member? Well, I uh, wrote in, you know, I just, it was very easy to sponsor someone just by indicating their name and then they were uh, received materials. They will submit their materials. There is a review committee that will look at, you know, the applications. If you are not a nurse, your review, you know, your credentials will be reviewed, your uh, you have to write a brief bio. You have to write just your what you might contribute to NAP. All that will be reviewed by a review committee. I don't know whether you're on that review committee, Jane. I, I, I am not at this point. No, I'm on the communications committee for the um, NAP, but no, I'm not on the on the review committee at this point. No, I'm and I decided not to volunteer for that because I'm on policy, and so. <laughs> I just have. So am I. <laughs> I. That's why I saw your name. That's why I saw your name. So I, I think it would be worthy of just taking a, a quick step back and talking about the structure of NAP, as you mentioned, Jane, because I think that is a huge value. And I think it might be a little confusing to not talk about that. So I, I was actually impressed about how there are all these Essentially, there are subgroups based on your profession that comes together. They all come together and they make the National Academies of Practice, which I hadn't realized. I would have thought that it was just one big group. No, the, the committees are composed of people from a variety of different disciplines. It isn't okay. just one discipline. We have the academies that are composed of individuals from a particular discipline, but the committees themselves, and, and Jane, please chime in if you think this is different. Mm -hmm. But my observation is that when I've been on committees, I've worked with people from different disciplines, and okay. it's been wonderful. So I think I confused us. Um, I use the word committees, and they're apparently called academies. <laughs> right. So I meant academies. So every if you were to apply for a fellowship, and and I'm a nurse, I would my application would go to the nursing academy. Yes. Um, uh, similarly, there's optometry, pharmacy, dentistry, um, all the different professions. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think what's unique is there's veterinary medicine that is part of the academies, uh, podiatry, pharmacy, optometry. But I think the, the veterinary medicine the veterinary is, is very unique because and and the PT Academy has been doing some work with the Veterinary Academy because there are some physical therapists that are now doing sort of therapy on animals with with some advanced training. But then, you know, especially for someone like myself who works with kids and adults with developmental disabilities or or folks with acquired injuries, a lot, you know, more and more a lot of my patients have service animals. So being able to have that link between veterinary medicine of taking care of the service animal as we take care of the human is, is a unique perspective that I never would have had if I hadn't, ha haven't been a member of NAP. 
So uh, I'm going to, so I'm still needing a little clarification on the structure. So when you apply and send in to this review committee, you apply to a particular academy based on your profession, is that? Yes, yeah. that in terms of the academy, but you're also looked at as in terms of how you will contribute to NAP. So, so how do the academies work together to create that synergy that you're describing? So I would say some of the, the committees that, that are th- throughout NAP have members from each of the academies. So there, so each of the academies do some of their own work sort of, you know, individually, but then, you know, some of the, the committees like the advocacy, the policy committee, those bigger committees have members from all of the different academies to come together to, you know, sent, you know, set our advocacy agenda or set you know, the things that the, the, if, if we do a day on the Hill, the, the issues that we're going to speak to our individual congressmen and, and congresswomen and, and senators about. So there is, I, I sort of see it as a parallel is that there's the individuals, academy, the individual academies, and then you have the, 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 then NAP as a whole. I think the other thing that is different you're actually nominated to join NAP. It's not necessarily an application. So someone needs to nominate you to join NAP, nominate, sponsor, whatever. And then there's a, a pretty, what I felt was a, a substantial application process that you needed to, to go through. And then you're, I guess, reviewed and, and approved to join. And and I was actually nominated by Pat Reedy and sponsored by her when the Impact Center sort of was first forming and we were doing some work together on interdisciplinary care for those with chronic illnesses. And that's when I sort of became much more aware of, of NAP and sort of their advocacy efforts. And, and I would say that's one of personally one of my sort of passions of of advocacy and, you know, on a really broad spectrum. And Janice, you nailed it when you said it's just not insurance, it's location, it's, it's literacy, it's um, opportunity. And even though I think we see a lot of clients in our center that definitely need the therapy, there's still pretty self-selected group of individuals that have the wherewithal to be able to get there and have support to help with scheduling and, and things like that. And, and we've been talking in the center and just some other things of how can we do more, more outreach because access continues to be a, 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 a problem. And, and for me, it's sort of my, my underlying agenda as a faculty member is to get students physical therapy students involved in those with chronic long-term illnesses, adults with developmental disabilities, not just the sports med and the athletes and things like that, but sort of opening our students' eyes to a whole host of other types of patients that we work with and collaborate with and the importance of being part of an interprofessional team. And even if you're you know, a sole practitioner, you're still part of a team. I mean, there's, I, I can't think of really any of our clients who who just see one practitioner and no one else. So 
seeing the importance of that and really emphasizing the need for advocacy, the need for communication, the need for collaboration, and and really sort of setting up the, I guess, the philosophy and, and your good practice habits that I hope our graduates have when they get out there and practice. Peter, can I go back to the, I, I want to be sure that we're clear on what the application procedure is for now. Sure, so I get your sponsored or nominated. Yeah, which is, which is easy to do as a sponsor. You just send the person's name in. But it, I don't find it very, you know, difficult in terms of applying because you do, I think it's a hundred word bio and 300 words in terms of, you know, what you've been doing and, and how you would contribute. So I didn't find it too onerous to do when I did it. it, it and I don't, working with uh, two people now, I don't think it's that onerous. It's always the chat, the getting the everything down to 100 words or 300 right. words, but it's like so, writing an article too. What about the selection criteria? Are those fairly rigorous? I, you know, I, I, I didn't look at the selection criteria. I, I think they're looking to see, are you, what do you say you want to do? And is it just something you want to add on, you know, to your resume or do you actually want to contribute to the organization? And I, I think it's important to indicate how you might contribute to the organization and what you will get from being a member of that organization. And what I'm interested in, because I know both of you have such strong passion around justice and equity. Could you give an example of how this organization has helped you advocate for increasing justice and equity in health professions or health more broadly? I don't, I don't know that it has. I mean, I know right now we're working on telehealth. And one of the things I did when I put together the landscape of what it is we ought to be doing in terms of advocacy, the resources and things like that, was to speak about people who don't have access to telehealth. Who are the people in the inner city who don't have the computers, who can't do the Zoom conferences, who would be able to use telehealth if they had the materials or the people in the rural areas who may or may not have access to it, to it because of the distance they are. So looking at the inadequacies, telehealth is fine for a certain segment of the population, but what about the people who don't have access to it? How do we help them? So that's that's something I'm very concerned about is you know, I, I, I think we're going to see all sorts of changes, as you know, as all of you know, in terms of the use of Zoom and uh, conferences and things like that, that we do with our practitioners and that you will do as a practitioner. But I always worry about the people who don't have the access and how do we make sure they get that access? And so I wanted to be sure that was part of our discussion in terms of when we go to the Hill is be able to, that we will have the resources so that we can go ahead and advocate for the people who don't necessarily have advocates. And is that ultimately the audience for the committee work that you're involved in, the legislators in Washington? Well, at this particular time, it is. You know, I've, I've done different things in, during the time I've been at NAP. But for this review, I volunteered for the policy review, and I've uh, been asked to review certain policies. And most of the policies so far that I've looked at really provide support for various professions to be able to utilize telehealth with their clients and be compensated for it. 
so I'll give an example, Peter, of how I think, you know, NAP helps with the advocacy. So before COVID came, reimbursement for telehealth for physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech lines pathology was, was virtually non-existent in Medicare. It was only very certain rural areas that was it covered by Medicare. So, you know, with COVID coming, of course, each of the individual's disciplines association advocated and sort of appealed to Medicare. But it was also, I think, the help of the academies of being that strong voice and not necessarily having a as much of a potentially perceived self-serving voice of, of just PT or just OT or just speech language pathology, but an academy that really doesn't have any, so to speak, skin in the game of reimbursement, but is really looking at it from a, this is what our patients and the folks that we work with need. And, and was sort of, again, sort of that, you know, the more people advocate, the more our legislative bodies listen. And it was just sort of an other voice that wasn't just a uniprofessional voice that was sort of advocate that could be misconstrued of advocating for themselves instead of advocating for the patients that we work with. Mm. If you, for advocacy, it's really the American Public Health Association that does a lot of advocacy on different bills and they evaluate it, they do investigate it, and then advocate for for the bill or against the bill in terms of its being passed. So they do a whole wide, wide, have you been involved with APHA? Perhaps not. I I haven't. I have not personally, no. It's there because it's public health and they do a whole variety and they'll do a list and tell you before, particularly before an election, what they're, what they're for and what they're against and why. So it's, that's very different. Uh, the American Academy of Nursing, to which I belong, we did some advocacy. We do do some advocacy, but it was, I chaired something where we were looking at community health workers in Africa and the importance of these community health workers and their be, uh, they being recognized. Again, that's, that's very different than what NAP might do because we really focus pretty much on what's happening in the United States. Would you say that's the case, Jane? Would you yes, agree? yes, I, I would say that that is the case. I'd yeah. love to talk a little bit about, you know, if our listeners out there, why should they be interested in becoming a fellow for NAP? You know, I think there's one thing that I want to get out there that I didn't really understand when when I received my invitation to apply, which is some of us have fellowships in other uni professional fields or or societies. You know, I'm also part of a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing as well as the NLN, National League for Nursing for an Education Fellow. And the question is, you know, it's interesting, you know, why should somebody even apply for fellowship? Why should someone aim for it? And for the NAP, what I didn't appreciate until I really understood what NAP was, is that this is essentially the fellowship for interprofessional practice, which is amazing. And 
And so what would you say would be why someone should aim for any kind of fellowship, in particular the fellow uh, to become a fellow for NAP? And if you have any tips for any of our listeners that are interested. Yeah, for for me, I think it was sort of having like-minded professionals that come and look at a problem or, you know, a challenge with different lenses. And although I love the American Physical Therapy Association, I've been involved in it for years and have been a member since I was a student, it does tend to be sometimes very inward focused of, you know, just physical therapy. And what I really love about NAP is the importance of being a team player and the realization that different perspectives and what each of us bring as a uni professional and coming together and collaborating with a patient and family can only improve that care. And that's what I think I've really enjoyed the most. And for me, I've always, I started out my career in rehab. Um, you know, I, I worked for several years at Spalding Rehab and I've always done rehab. I've I did a short stint in acute care and I didn't really like it because I miss I miss the team. I, I miss the interdisciplinary team of being so to me it was it was just a very natural sort of transition to come with like-minded healthcare professionals that work and collaborate with patients to provide a, a, a the best outcome that that someone can have and and sort of the true sort of respect and collegiality that um, I get from that is it's not that it's better than APTA. It's just different than APTA, right? It's, you know, I'm talking to my speech friends and my OT friends and, and stuff like that. And I just, you know, I love that when, you know, when there's an issue and they bring up just a different way of looking at it. And it's just like, gosh, I didn't even I, I didn't even consider that perspective. And to me, for me, that helps me grow and, and sort of be able to, I think, take the time to think of different perspectives that individuals may have with the same challenge and potentially wanting the same outcome, but potentially getting there from a very different in a very different way. And to me, that's really stimulating and challenging for me to say, oh, you know, I, I never really thought of it that way. Let me think about that for a minute. Mm, okay. And it, and it just, it, it just, it, it challenges me um, in a different way of thinking. Well said. Uh, the thing I would suggest to anyone who becomes a member is to get involved, you know, volunteer for a committee that you find interesting because you'll then get the opportunity to work with people from different disciplines on a, on a topic that you're really concerned about. It means that when you start going to the meetings, you know, you'll begin to know a whole host of different people that you hadn't met before. I mean, I'm always happy to see Jane and our other colleagues from the Institute who are there, but we're not always at the same meetings in any case. And there are a lot of other people as well that it's nice to spend time with and get to know. I'm curious, I'm looking at the website and there is this commitment in a professional practice and collaboration, and yet I don't see medicine listed as an academy. 
it's, how do they fit into the picture? It's osteopathic medicine. They've put together the medical group and the osteopathic medicine group. That just happened recently. Jane, do you have any more knowledge on that? No, I mean, it, it's, it's really osteopathic medicine, DOs, not MDs. Although they, they said they were trying to get MDs in. And we have a, one of our colleagues is married to a physician. And I thought, you know, they, they both might something, find something valuable in being in the, this particular organization and being able to go together as well. Right, and particularly for the goals that you're talking about, I know in this country, physicians tend to have an outsized voice when it comes to at least lay people's conception of how healthcare works. So how are they incorporated as members of the team? Do do you see if they have other organizations that they're involved in? Yeah, I I haven't been in NAP long enough, Peter, to sort of know sort of the backstory or the, or the history with that. I, I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to get medicine in. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't really have that perspective or, or, or that knowledge of that. Dentistry is there, but MDs are at this point are not. And I can't imagine they haven't been asked. Yeah. I've met a doctor there who's from the Boston area. I mean, that really, when we met somebody, it was yeah, whom I only see at this meeting, you know. Okay, so there, there is a role for all mm-hmm. health professions. And the other thing I do notice is that they say, if you represent a profession not on this list, contact us. Yes. That's one thing I'm learning, there are so many ways uh, for people to join the healthcare team and so many professions that uh, contribute so importantly to the care of all of us. I mean, we've talked about, I've been, I've been at meetings where we've talked about the idea, do we need patients as members? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nothing has moved on that, but that that question was raised. Mm-hmm. Right, and and occupational therapy, I think, is the latest academy that joined. And the other thing that I think is interesting that I find can be very helpful there. There's different levels, so you have a fellow, and then you also can have a distinguished practitioner. So it can bring both practicing clinicians and folks and academics together. And I think it's another great opportunity to do that. We try to do that in APTA. I think sometimes we have limited success in that. But, you know, I will speak at least for physical therapy because that's what I know best is the concept of clinical education. How are we going to train our students in, in a very ever-changing healthcare system with reimbursement challenges and all that type of stuff. And all of that was an issue, at least for physical therapy, before COVID hit. And now with COVID, those concerns and challenges have become even more challenging. So, you know, being able to have both the sort of the academic side and the practicing side in the bo- in the same room and sort of hearing each other and the challenges and in the and you know what sort of ideal for one might not be ideal for another but just sort of to I think trying to get those different perspectives is only can be can be helpful. Right. I mean, one thing that I'm realizing is I need to be more active. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're all busy, uh, but I, I'm really, I'm thinking about some of the, the takeaways that 
that I'm internalizing from this conversation and, and with so much admiration for what both of you do. Uh, but I, I had picked out one thing that Jane said, that even if you're a sole practitioner, you're part of a team. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a practitioner in the clinical sense, but in an educational way. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you know, when you teach, you feel like you're by yourself. You don't see anyone else there with you. But there are all those unseen hands that are supporting you, that you that you pass the, the learners off to. Uh, and so we need to really make those connections more visible. And one way to do that is through joining professional organizations. I think an, another takeaway is as a group, having all of the professions and their experiences and their setting at the table as you discuss things like inclusivity and giving people, you know, ac- access, telehealth, for example, is uh, extremely important. And that is the value of NAP or interprofessional meetings. Right. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it was just last year or the year before, you know, they came, the NAP, you know, the experts in the field sort of got together and did a sort of a, a white paper on interprofessional collaboration and research in practice research, right? In clinical research and sort of a, a white paper of supporting that, you know, identifying the need, why is this important? And, you know, that can be, again, I think more powerful when it is from an interdisciplinary standpoint. And there's many voices coming at it from many different perspectives than just one discipline's voice of saying that that this needs to happen. And maybe I'm naive in saying this, but I think that over the years, I see much less of the typical or what we used to have sort of those turf battles in practice, I think have, at least in my practice, has been I think less than there used to be when I when I first started to practice, right? You know, the old thing that used to drive me crazy was, oh, occupational therapists do the upper half of the body and physical therapists do the lower half of the body, right? That it's like nails on a chalkboard to me when I hear that, right? So you, you know, imagine I, like nurses and PAs dividing up bodies that way. Exactly, right? So I mean, and and I think perhaps for me, uh, the type of of patients that I work with have so many needs that there's plenty of stuff to go around for everyone to, to help with. But I, you know, I, I think just that the camaraderie of other physical therapists for me that are very passionate about physical therapy yet see the importance of being part of an interdisciplinary team is, is so key for me. And really helps ground some of the the work and advocacy and stuff that that we do with with NAP. Well, if I can, let me summarize the takeaways that I'm hearing. What we talked about, and, and you just beautifully underscored the importance of being part of a team and engaging with your professional organization. We looked at the issues of access and how I think often we pay attention to who's in front of us and we don't see who's not there, mm-hmm. who we're not treating and how organizations like this can help shine a light on that. And then for, for me, the third takeaway has to do with amplifying your voice through advocacy, mm-hmm. that it's multiplied. This is not NAP or NAP. I've heard you 
folks use it both ways, so mm-hmm. that's a confirm <laughs> that one. Uh, but that's not the only organization. You can advocate through your professional organization, through the Public Health Association, and through an interprofessional group like the National Academies of Practice, and all of that together is what it's going to take to shine light and to focus attention on these issues that are, are really uh, important in um, producing the health outcomes that we all seek. I yes. think that sums it up, Peter. And and it's interesting now that you're mentioning it, that the power of types of organizations like National Academies of Practice, you know, having a unified voice creates more powerful impact. And, and what I'm also gaining from this is seeing the power of organizations like this, its impact on entering microsystems as it is for us today, our microsystem, which isn't actually very micro, uh, MGH, (laughs) IHP. I'm excited to be part of, you know, there's this larger community of practice, but look at this organization brought us together to have our own little community of practice within the Institute. It's just an honor to, you know, be able to have the discussions as we do in NAP at MGHHP. You know, I think what we should do is have a meeting for those people who are interested in becoming members and those people who are members, you know, just everyone together so we can talk about this and help our colleagues who are interested in becoming members move ahead. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, that would would be great. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I learned a lot today and um, I'm excited to meet with the rest of our faculty and with the rest of the Institute and see what we can get going. Sounds good to me. Great. Thank you, Janice. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to our podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your host, Janice Palaganis, and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.